Hello there and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm Nathan Staples and joining me this evening are Jeremy Smith, Jonathan Johnson and Lee Davey. It may have taken some time for my colleagues to detach myself from the ceiling after last night's result, but after another comeback defeat in the Champions League, where did Paris Saint-Germain go from here? All of that and the league and weekend to come after the latest headlines. Paris Saint-Germain are out of the Champions League as Manchester United earned a 3-1 win at the Parc de Prince. Romelu Lukaku's double and Marcus Rashford's late controversial penalty sees the English side through on away goals. However, Rennes have restored some league and pride this evening as they beat Arsenal 3-1 in the first leg of their Europa League round of 16 tie at Roseanne Park. Alex Iwobi got, uh, Alex Iwobi got the Lundry's early goal, um, away goal, but uh, Socrates Papastopoulos uh, read, saw red um, in the first half and that helped the British club to gain control as goals from Benjamin Borjo and Nacho Monreal own goal and Ismail Sar gave them the advantage before heading to the Emirates next week. Earlier on Wednesday evening there was Coupe de France action as well as not book their semi-final against Paris Saint-Germain after a 2-0 win over Viet. Gabriel Bachelier and Antio Mance uh, sealed the victory with the next set of ties heading in early April. Back on Tuesday, there was some Ligue 1 action as well as Montpellier beat Bordeaux 2-1. Paul Land got the away side in front against the run of play before Tom Abasic levelled things up. But Daniel Congre won it in the second half as Les Girondins hoped the imminent appointment of Paolo Sosa would change their fortunes. And that's all for now. But for all the latest in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start tonight by dissecting what has been a pretty crazy couple of hours for Paris Saint-Germain. Heading into that game on Wednesday night, John, there was all the hope. I think a lot of even people on this show really saying that it wasn't really any chance for Manchester United. But in the end... They got the result they needed. And much like Thomas Tuchel said, they didn't really have a great attack in any of the games, but somehow they've come up with a 3-1 win. And that's got to bite PSG really, really hard after the, the result they had two years ago against Barcelona as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, as somebody who's followed PSG now for years, um, you know, has seen them reach the, the Champions League quarterfinals in the past, but then also seen them, uh, you know, capitulate and, uh, and, and go out early doors. Uh, in some ways, this is worse than the, the, the than what we saw against Barcelona in uh, in the remontada. Uh, you know, it's I, it, it's it's almost inexplicable, very difficult to explain um, how PSG contrived to 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 do this. I mean, I was saying before the match that the only way that I really thought that United could perhaps. Um, you know, get something out of the game would be to maybe keep PSG goalless until half time, and then the nerves started settle, uh, setting in. But you know, to have nerves jangling around Parc des Princes after less than two minutes, you know, that was, you know, not what anybody at, who was going to the match last night would have expected. Uh, and you know, even Nasser Al Khalifi, the, the the PSG chairman and CEO, said. Uh, you know, once they, you know, once United got on the score sheet, those doubts started to creep in. You know, if the doubts are starting to creep in after two minutes against a, 
you know, essentially a, almost a third string Manchester United side. Uh, you know, you just have to wonder how deep this this mental complex is rooted because that that's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, it's it's, uh, it's it's become this ritual humiliation, uh, and the longer it goes on, uh, you know, the less likely PSG are to be able to, uh, you know, get rid of this this uh, this tag of of bottlers that they, uh, you know, almost seem to put around their necks on a twelve monthly basis. And that's the thing about, especially the game on Wednesday, really focusing on that, Lee, that like we say, that Manchester United didn't really create an enormous amount. And there's this somewhat a a decent amount of controversy, especially in England, about the penalty, although it has been reported in in other places that the handball is pretty common. I I did say at the time to a a friend that it was a very Italian-Spanish handball, really, that they sort of give for anything. But in terms of the other goals, though, really, both mental mistakes, really, Tilo Kera and one you don't really expect from on really to make that kind of mistake and it's those simple individual areas that have really cost them yeah very much so um i think it mirrored what happened in barcelona two years ago uh, a very cagey opening a very nervous opening uh john was out in barcelona that night as i was and uh, i remember it was an early goal from luis suarez i believe or was it an own goal but it was one of the two anyway um but it was it went kind of downhill very, very quickly and very early on. And I was, obviously I was in the stadium last night myself and um, you just really started to feel those nerves jangle very early, same as in Barcelona. And uh, at no point was I, was I comfortable um, with, with how things were going. It was, uh, it was a really difficult night from start to finish. And um, unfortunately, this is happening far too often. Those same feelings keep coming back when you're standing on the terraces uh, watching PSG in these knockout competitions, I almost likened it to a, a Liga performance on a Champions League knockout night. It was uh, it was very laboured, languid. It was um, it was teams playing with three, four touches, and there was no one touch stuff like the team played out in Naples or the way they played against Liverpool um, or even Old Trafford at times. Um, so it was really disappointing. I'm almost scratching my head is to think. Where did that performance come from? It's uh, and again, but going back to what John said earlier, it, it really does seem deep rooted um, that this team has the ability to just push the self destruct button far too easily. And this is the thing as well, going back to sort of the first half, I suppose, Jez, is that in all essence that PSG were really on top. There was trouble clearly in the right back position with Eric Bailly, not really quite understanding the position. They were overloading him frequently and they had plenty of chances. I mean, Bernat had one, Di Maria had a couple, so did Mbappe. I mean, it wasn't like this was sort of a... a, a, a a restriction of loads of chances for PSG, like a, a monumental defensive performance that really in, in, in a nine times out of 10, you would have thought Paris Saint-Germain would have put this to bed, but last night they just couldn't finish any of those chances they got. Yeah. I mean, I think nine times out of 10, they, they would have got through that match. And they, the fact is that they did pretty much dominate it and they did have a lot of chances, but it almost felt like possibly well, certain not, Certainly up to a certain point in the match, they felt that um, the goal would come. But you know, Mbappe, of all people, had, had quite an off day. You know, I think it's probably the first time that he's really been found wanting in a match when everyone expected him to, to sort of do the business. And I guess that they, they, they kind of started the match with three lives and, and threw them all away themselves. 
Um, they probably felt, yeah, it doesn't matter because this United team is not going to score three goals away from home and at some point or other will score. And even having only scored that one goal, it should have been enough. But two horrific errors meant that you know, they were always vulnerable to, to what happened at the end of the match. And as you said, it's, you can argue, personally, I don't think it was a penalty, but you can see why it was given and, and there was always that risk. Um, and in terms of the, the sort of mental side, Circle did point out that neither Kara nor Buffon were, were there a couple of years ago, but it does feel like it's kind of spooked the whole club and it's become a sort of self, self-fulfilling prophecy. I actually think that over the last couple of years, the media as a whole has overdone this notion of PSG being bottlers. Okay, they weren't great against Real Madrid last year, but it was, you know, they did lose against the defending and seemed to be you know, repeat champions. It's, there's no shame in that. Um, but it feels like they've started to believe this, this bottlers tag. And, and yesterday it, it sort of really came to the fore at, at a certain point. Um, I felt for a lot of the first half, I, I wasn't there, so I didn't, I didn't sense the nerves in the way that Lee said. But for the first half, they still felt comfortable. But as that second goal didn't come, in the second half, but those players who, who were there a couple of years ago did start. Um, like, you know, we had Thiago Silva sort of dropping further and further back again. Um, even Alves, who obviously was on the other side a couple of years ago, um, sort of vanished a bit. Di Maria as well, who I'd say for maybe three quarters of the of the tie as a whole was arguably the, the, the player of the tie, but he sort of vanished as well. And um, because they didn't, they'd thrown away that, that cushion that they had, um, you always sensed that, yeah, the, the sort of ghosts of two years ago are going to come back. It's it's a bit bizarre to say it, but the, the period between United's first and second goal, uh, it, you know, it was actually a pretty impressive um, recovery from PSG in terms of the character they showed. Yeah, they were a bit wasteful and should have taken some of the chances that they enjoyed at that point. Um, you know, but for them to sort of address... That, that that first error that led to the United opener, you know, what they did then was was impressive. The thing, I think the the, the absolute key moment in the whole match, I, you can may as well forget the the the, the VAR penalty uh, at the end because to me the the other two errors were you know were, were bigger uh, and more concerning. And I think the you know the real key one you know has to be the the Buffon one because it's somebody who has so much experience. I mean, he, you know. Him alone on that pitch almost had more experience than everybody else out there uh, on nights like these. And for him to look like a rabbit caught in headlights uh, was very, very bizarre, very worrying. And you do have to wonder, you know, just how true the reports were in the hours before the match uh, that Alphonse Ariola was actually going to be preferred to him because... In the time that Buffon has spent at PSG, I've never seen him look so unsure of himself. And it was very, very uh, uncharacteristic. Yeah, the the weather conditions weren't brilliant. It was very wet and slippy. Um, But, you know, for for him to look like that, uh, either something happened in the build-up to the match uh, or, you know, it goes back to this, this mental complex thing. And, you know, for somebody like him to be overcome and consumed by this, you know that that is a big concern because you do have to wonder how PSG are going to stamp that out. Uh, you know, moving forward, if 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 somebody with Buffon's caliber of experience, uh, you know, can't handle it. Yeah, and it's like I guess for everything. Sorry, 
I was going to say that I guess for, for everything that Buffon's achieved, the fact is he hasn't won the Champions League, and it probably means more to him than anyone else on the pitch there. And that's why I get a little bit annoyed with people just lazily saying, oh, it's because PSG players don't care. I think and it's a, maybe it's a trite thing to say, but I think, if anything, Buffon possibly cares a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, I mean that's a, that, that's a fair point. I mean, one of the thing that I would say and an observation that I made, uh, you know, I stuck it out there on Twitter midway through the first half. It struck me as very odd, um, especially somebody who's so obsessed with tactics the way that that Tuchel is, that he stuck with a formation that was tailor made for the away performance at Old Trafford when certain players weren't available. Some of those players were still unavailable uh, at Parc des Princes, but some of them were back available. Yet. PSG essentially went into it with, uh, you know, a, a formation that was built to playing away from home. Okay, yeah, uh, you know, still had plenty of possession, still created plenty of chances, but I just found it weird that, uh, you know, Tuchel was persevering with Dani Alves as a makeshift right winger for 70 minutes. Uh, you know, that Kerr, when he was obviously so uncomfortable at right back, uh, you know, still wasn't taken off earlier. Uh, you know, and, and Buffon, who was obviously shot to pieces, uh, you know, Tuchel did also didn't consider, you know, pu- pulling him off and perhaps putting Ariola on. It was it, to to me, uh, it it was it was very unlike Tuchel, and I'm not I'm not trying to lay all the blame, at, uh, you know, uh, at his door. Uh, it just it, it just felt very strange to me uh, because you know Tuchel is a guy who's normally very very reactive, and if he sees his team down and struggling. Uh, especially at like half time, you know, he's not afraid to ring the changes earlier. And we've seen him even make first half substitutions, uh, you know, since he took over at PSG. So to me, it it felt like something was 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 very wrong uh, quite early on. Yeah, especially when Solskjaer was able to make the substitution that they really needed. I did assist that Eric Bay was pretty much injured, really, but it it helped sort of settle the United down. And it and funny enough, Lee, especially in the first leg, a lot was made about the sort of centre midfield battle because Verratti was back being fit, and obviously Marquinhos starting in midfield, and United having such good form with Pogba, Matic, and Herrera. Now all three of those were missing in this one, and credit to Fred and and. Scott McTominay, who were both excellent on the night, but at the same time, Marquinhos was a bit quiet. Verratti didn't quite control the game quite as he did at, at Old Trafford. Was it was it maybe a mistake in, in essence? For example, playing not by playing Marquinhos further back and giving someone like Paredes, who they bought in for this kind of game, um, a chance. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. This is something I touched on with uh, a couple of friends who I stand with uh, in the stadium. Um, I think with Marquinhos in the way he played in the first leg, um, he was des- it was designed to play against a, a player like as a creative player like Paul Pogba to try and stifle him, and obviously he did a wonderful job of that at Old Trafford. But without Pogba there, without anyone really creating from the middle of the park from, from a United perspective, I didn't see the use for Marquinhos. Uh, for me, Verratti and, and, and Paredes would have um, certainly been been good enough to have. Uh, you know, to, to have dealt with, with, with any threat that United um, would have posed from the midfield areas. And I would have preferred to have seen Marquinhos in the back four alongside Thiago Silva. Um, as much as I am a fan of Presno Kimpembe, there are, you know, he does worry me from time to time, some of his decision-making and some of his concentration um, throughout the 90 minutes is a little suspect from time to time. He can be a little rash. That's not to say he was particularly at fault for too much, apart from the handball last night. But, 
you know, it, who knows if it would have been any different. But certainly, from I was surprised to see Marquinhos starting midfield last night. I didn't feel there was a reason for him to to start in that position. And John, looking ahead, really now, I know the club are also sort of saying tonight, especially uh, uh, Henrique saying that uh, he's really disappointed about Rabiot sort of spotted partying after the game. But I suppose they've made that bed to lie in, to be fair, more than anything, Paris Saint Germain. But but going forward, a, a lot of was made sort of in 2017 when Unai Emery had that big loss against Barcelona. That really that was the point where many felt that his job was lost. Is there a worry that? Tuchel at this point with this big defeat and the importance of the Champions League that the pressure is going to mount incredibly on him in the next couple of months? No, I mean, I, I, I think the PSG's Qatari owners are smart enough to see the progress that has been made under Tuchel. And yeah, I mean, OK, perhaps it's been overplayed at times, but at the same time, there is genuine progress there. Um yeah, some of that hard work has been undone by this result. Uh, but if you look at the the competitions that PSG have gone out so far in so far this season, Champions League and Coupe de la Ligue, uh, they've both been sort you know very freakish games. I mean, for PSG to concede three penalties in the space of thirty minutes in a home match, you know, against a team like Gengel, very very bizarre. Uh, you know, and and for, for for what happened last night to to happen, you know, also very. Very, very strange. Uh, I, I think PSG will back Tuchel, um, and in doing so, uh, you know, I, I think nobody's under any illusions that uh, Antero Enrique is living on borrowed time. Uh, it's a, it's a relationship that's never really worked, uh, and I think if Tuchel is given the sort of squad that he wants, uh, you know, he will be able to replicate some of the some of the performances, some of the results that we've seen um, from PSG at times this season. You know, I'm talking about the, you know, the good ones, the likes of the Manchester United's away, the Liverpool's at home, uh, Red Star Belgrade away, uh, Napoli away, those sorts of, uh, of, of showings. And, uh, you know, I think the most important thing that PSG can do now is not make any rash decisions um, and, you know, be smart, speak to Tuchel, back him um and you know try to try to give him what he wants uh you know because overall he has done uh, a a good job and i don't think that he should be made to pay for uh you know two freak results even if unfortunately one of them you know keeps feeding into this growing narrative that that psg seem uh, cursed to you know to not get to the very final stages of the of the champions league under qatari ownership and Lee, is that the important thing in the in the summer is is to back Tuchel and make a squad that's a little bit more prepared for the Champions League, especially you know in the midfield and maybe maybe even a defender or two in as well that that they back them or under hush breath say within FFP rules at least anyway to to get the right squad for for next season and have a real go at it. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, if we cast our minds back not too long ago, um, Nasser Al Khelaifi actually called Thomas Tuchel the best coach in the world. I'm sure his opinion hasn't changed too much since then. Um, let's let's be honest, he wasn't able to do some of the business that he wanted to do. He was, he's been crying out for a, mid, a number six since, since the summer. Um, he still hasn't got the number six that he wants. Uh, and I'm sure there's still some more reinforcements that Tuchel wants in the squad before he really feels that's his squad uh, and a squad capable of really challenging in, in Europe. It's going to take time. But certainly the club need to get behind Tuchel, back him. You get the feeling that the players, especially the big egos in the dressing room, you and Mbappe's and your Neymar's are really happy with him. Uh, he looks like, it, certainly from the outside, he's got a wonderful relationship with them. 
his man management skills are fantastic from from again from what, what we can see and the players look like really enjoy playing for him um i think get behind him back him in the transfer market let's see what happens in the summer and i certainly hope he's uh, he's going to be the psg coach for years to come yeah. i don't i don't know what the what what the guys think of this but it's not it's not even just uh, based around this second leg against manchester united you know the recent period particularly uh, you know, with the likes of Edinson Cavani out of the out, out of the side, it seems to suggest that I mean, okay, he didn't do the business in the second leg against United, but overall, you know, uh, Bappe has finally started to embrace sort of playing in that central role, and looks like he's maybe uh, you know ready to step up and make that change more permanent. Uh, and it does feel that maybe you know this this summer coming up is perhaps the moment that the PSG let go of you know, one or two of these um, players over 30 who've done a lot for the club over the years, um, you know, but perhaps don't have that much more to offer now sort of with with a view to the next couple of seasons uh, where if if the news about Thomas Tuchel potentially being handed a, a, a contract extension is true, uh, you know, they, they probably wouldn't last the duration. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they evolve. I mean, for, for my two cents, I would quite like, it's probably maybe time to move on from Edison Cavani. And I would quite like, if you're going to have Neymar and Mbappe out wide, how about a Sebastian Halle? You know, a, a, I would say the next gen Olivier Giroud, shall we say, to someone that links up nicely with attacking players. That'd be nice to see. But uh, I know both you, John and Lee, Lee, have to go, but I, I'm going to remain on the high from United for a, quite a while, I think, on this one. But thanks again, gents, for joining us this evening. And uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Oh, thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. On to more positive news for Elite fans on this one, Jez. And it's Ren's magnificent result tonight against Arsenal as they won 3 1. There was an early goal for Arsenal that put our backs up a little bit, but probably deserved double booking for Socrates, even though he wanted to protest it for as long as possible. But an excellent second half performance where they were gung ho, they were scoring. Excellent goals, especially Sars was really nice. Borisio scored an excellent goal as well. Uh, a terrific result and one that, with a 3-1 lead especially, is it, something really to take home when they go to the Emirates and, and give it a right go. Yeah, similar-ish situation in that this is not at all a vintage Arsenal team. And um, unlike PSG yesterday, I think Ren really took advantage of it. Um, they were helped by the pretty early sending off. Um, debatable whether whether it was a correct decision or not, but um, maybe Socrates had been lucky not to, not to receive a booking earlier any, or a second booking earlier. Um, as I said before, I'm not convinced that Ren are the most honest of players, let's say. But um, the, 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 whatever was handed to them, they absolutely took advantage of it. And I'm not saying that Arsenal are a one-man team, but I think they're a completely different prospect at the moment with Lacazette playing. Um, Aubameyang, on his day, can be clinical, but a lot of the time he's not. And I would also, I'm not sure that he brings enough apart from that, whereas Lacazette, I, I really think, has just grown into such a fantastic player, could do a bit of everything. Helps out in defence, works hard, creates space for other players, sets goals up, scores goals, and I just I think Arsenal would look a shadow of the team at the moment when he's not playing, and he's obviously going to be missing for the for the second leg as well. So had it had they, had Arsenal kept it to two one, maybe still put in his favourites for the second leg, but 
I uh, I ran with Bethany B. Fagus, and uh, I think there's a, there's a very good chance to, that they'll score again at the Emirates, and then Arsenal would, would need to score at least three, and I'm just, I can't see them doing that without Lacazette. Yeah, and this is the thing about, I think, especially about uh, Arsenal's side of things. I know they, they might feel a bit scorned about the two, but the first one, maybe he slips a little bit, Socrates, but he, he can definitely get out of the way. He sort of extends a leg to make sure he's in the way, really, of Atten Ben Arthur. And the, the second one, it's minimal, but Sars is being pulled back, and it, it, he has no reason to go down at that moment because he would have been through otherwise and on another day that could have been even worse if there wasn't an extra defender there really so a booking was really the right thing to do and it was just sort of silly play from him more than anything when he's already on a booking but second half they were really good Ren they they had great width to them Saar continuously attacked Monreal and he was <laughs> bamboozled on, on, on more than one occasion there was a couple of good cutbacks that Saar did he obviously earned his goal with a header for the third which was a, a lovely finish and why he went unmarked I mean Ramsey had to run the whole length of the past Gwendozi to get an even attempt to try and stop him and it showed exactly the sort of lack of fight that Arsenal had but uh, a lot of poor positional decisions they decided to stick Mkhitaryan as the the default right back instead of maybe bringing on a actually mate Niles I didn't quite get that decision they brought off Aubameyang quite early so they almost didn't have a striker for the, uh, I would say about 20 minutes of the the second uh, second half it didn't make much sense to not have any kind of focal point because it just invited the pressure more than anything and Ren will be delighted I know Already we asked Richard if he wanted to be on the show to, to chat about it, but he's a little bit more merry than uh, he maybe planned to have been. So he's, he's enjoying himself and, and well-deserved as well because they were excellent. And, and, and one thing, just that you can guarantee, at least in these European games for, for French teams that are a little bit lower down the spectrum, shall we say, in PSG, although they did create a nice atmosphere last night, especially in the ultra zone there, but they, it was absolutely booming in Roseanne Park and that's it would de facto way of, of why they an extra extension of why they probably played so well. Yeah, I think um, it always helps if you've got a good crowd behind you, and um, there's a there's a sort of misconception that, that the crowds aren't great in, 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 in with French clubs or in French league. I just think that's that's a complete misconception. I think it's true in terms of away fans and travelling support, but. Most places that you go, you get a really good home atmosphere. Um, not as intimidating as, as certain other uh, countries, but um, you know they're, they're, they're fully well. When things are going well, they're fully behind their team. You will also get like you know, Romney flares and, and great sort of um, you know, fuzzy things like that. You've got um, cheerleaders with, with the loudspeakers, making sure that the atmosphere is kept up for the for the full ninety minutes. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's nothing more or less than, than I'd expect from from a big European European night in the French club, and um, you know, hopefully that's another thing that, that, that the rest of the rest of the world or the rest of Europe or whatever whoever's watching it away from France um, will, will come to realise about the French league. And another thing that's maybe been a little bit too uh, sort of underestimated or undervalued in recent years. 
Mm, absolutely, and maybe maybe it's Paris Saint Germain that are the farmers, and maybe not the uh, the other teams. Is that <laughs> that might be the undercoating quote after that one? But an an excellent result for Ren. They'll be absolutely delighted. It's the the biggest game they've had in a long, long, long while, possibly even ever. And uh, great to them to get a result. And if they can just hold on at hybrid, at hybrid, sorry, at, uh, at the Emirates, because they they can be really good at home, Arsenal, to be fair. But uh, if they can just hold on, if they can get a good result if they can get their fans plenty of fans in the the stadium and get them behind them they've got all every single chance and let's uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope that they can get over that that dotted line next week uh, on to Liga matters now because there's a couple of interesting tasty games coming up this weekend and we're starting with Strasbourg Leon and Jez, it, it for the home side it's been a bit of a funny time, really, for Strasbourg in the last couple of weeks. They've not really picked up any kind of results after what had been a really terrific time they'd had sort of the end of December, early January time, where they were really pushing um, for the European places. But ever since that cup final against Bordeaux, and I know we've talked about it a few weeks ago, but they've still not won since then. Two draws, two defeats, admittedly one draw against uh, Lille. But they obviously lost last time out as well against Nice, who've not been particularly exciting as of late. Is it maybe a case of that they want to really get that cup final out of the way and, and possibly get some silverware and that their minds are clearly elsewhere? But at the same time, you need to be fighting for places in these kind of opportunities, don't you? I think so. I think it's, yeah, I think it might be a bit, a bit of a distraction. Um, Lala the other day was, was asked about his ambitions for the, for the rest of the season. He said, you know, hopefully, an appearance in the France squad. Um, Hopefully, Coupe de la Ligue and then a, a top 10 finish. And maybe that betrayed sort of a slight lack of ambition for, from Strasbourg because the position that they were in at the time, they could have been looking at, at much higher than just top 10. Um, and maybe that's kind of gives an indication that, yeah, Coupe de la Ligue is, is the main priority for the club, which is understandable. But um, you, know, you look at that, that one of, of matches without a win. None of them are entirely straightforward, and I have to say against Angers, I thought they were really unlucky in the sense that they, they pretty much controlled the game and they've just caught on the break a couple of times. But um, you know, for, to, considering the form that they were in leading up to that, you'd have expected them to take more than two points from, from five games. Um, as you said, Lille is a decent point to, to get, but the other matches, I think they should have shown a little bit more about themselves. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in them. Um, I don't know if maybe it is simple lack of form, you know, drop in form, but they they really look like they were firing on the cylinders up to that point. And um, you know, I'd hope that it's not a case of players taking foot off the pedal because they're worried about getting injured leading up to a leading up to a final. But um, yeah, it's 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 not been great and. They, yeah, they, I really think they could have been pushing for, for fourth place if they kept on, kept their eye on the ball. Yeah, it's it's a frustrating one, isn't it? But it's also at the same time you you have that side note of, especially for small for for I think for anyone that if you're asked would you rather finish if you're a Strasbourg player and say would you rather finish seventh or or sixth and get Europa League or would you rather win a cup and, and possibly get it anyway? Um, I think they take that second option every single time, and that's maybe why they've just not been quite at the races recently. I mean, they went on the great run by by 
grabbing plenty of goals, but they've not scored twice in a game since their last win in the league. Well, they, sorry, the last win in L competition, sorry, in the semi-final really against Bordeaux. They, they beat Bordeaux 1-0 as well in the league before that. But but since then, 2-1, 2 1-0, 1-1, 1-0, they've not really been blazing on fire. I mean, Lebo Matiba's taken a step back. Uh, Thomason's not really quite um, had the edge that he had. They've not quite got anything out of a joke after what looked like a good bit of form for him as well when he was in the squad. So it, it just feels like they're maybe missing half a step more than anything and the fact that they just need maybe one match to go their way. But at the same time, because that is the Coupe de la Ligue final and that's played sort of the end of March, they've got plenty of time after that to recover, really. They get that 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 result in the bag and then they've got plenty of games after that. They've got games against uh, Paris Saint-Germain and Marseille as well, but other games, they've got Dijon, they've got Nantes, Amiens, uh, Gangomp still to come. So they've got winnable games certainly after that cup match, and there's no questioning at all that, that at least Lala's prediction of, of tenth, which would still be really good for for what we expected of them at the start of the season and what they'd shown last season, that um, they'd be really positive. But like you say, Jesse, it's just a little bit frustrating that they could have been a, a little bit higher, but they might be in for a difficult time. Well, it's an interesting one really for Leon, I would I would say in this one because they were be- much better than they were against Monaco against Toulouse. They were very dangerous. They could have probably got a couple more, but we all know Toulouse's plight at the moment. But it was great to see all the strikers get on the score sheet and Dembele get a couple as well for him, give them a bit of confidence. But the problem with this game away to Strasbourg, who can be a tricky customer, especially at their own ground, is that the, in the <laughs> on the horizon behind them is that game against Barcelona at Camp Nou where they can really create some history really more than anything and that's again very similar to Strasbourg focusing on the future of cup final maybe Leon maybe have an eye on that game in the Champions League in the week as well yeah I did we say it practically every week about Leon it depends which Leon turn up um, until that, that Monaco result they'd had a, a good run but you know, another way of looking at it is that they haven't won away from home since early February, and that was against um, Gangon in the cup at the bottom of the table. Um, so they still they still do tend to struggle a little more away from home. Um, and the Barcelona match is obviously going to be a, a huge distraction. It would be for any team, but I think particularly for, for Lyon, certain of their players have kind of shown time and again that they do sort of, they seem to pick and choose their matches. And it means that players like Alwar and Dombele, um, as good as they can be in the really big matches, they can be pretty bad in the poor matches. So, you know, Genesio might even have to, you know, make a call as to whether, whether to play them at all. But, um, of all the teams that you probably want to be playing just before a big European match, it would probably be Lyon because, um, they're definitely the type that you'd expect to kind of take their foot off the gas. And, and I guess everything that I said about Strasbourg leading up to leading up to the final, you could say about Lyon leading up to leading up to the Barcelona match. Um, whatever the reason, Genesio and the, and the powers that be at Lyon seem to struggle to to ensure that the players are switched on um, for more than sort of two or three matches at a time. Um, and so. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but a great win against Toulouse, and then the Barcelona match coming up is almost it, it, 
it almost sort of leads you to think this is a note on Strasbourg win. Um, because you've got the sort of the arrogance that you sometimes see from certain players after a big win and the, and the sort of taking it easy that you sometimes see from them before a big match. And it's going to a tricky place, however bad Strasbourg's form or shaky Strasbourg's form has been in recent weeks. Going to, to the Menno is still not an easy place to go. And you know that on their day they can still play good football and they've already been to Strasbourg early on in the cup. Um, at the early in the season, you know, so um, yeah, so, uh, all things considered, for me, Strasbourg are definitely favourites for this one. Well, that leads me nicely into the next question for you, then, Jason. <laughs> That's our prediction. I'm assuming you're going for a Strasbourg win. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I just I, well, I, I know why I said it just now, but um, I feel that it's going to be a pretty straightforward for them. I think maybe a two 0 I, I, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. I think I agree with you that, that Leon tend to play down sometimes and with their focus elsewhere, with their thinking that um, that Strasbourg maybe are in a bit of a dow bit of form so they maybe don't have to try as hard. That it just sounds like one where Strasbourg score in the first half, Leon score in the second half and they, they both go away with a point. Uh, on to matters um, elsewhere on um, on Saturday, and that's uh, Monaco versus Bordeaux, our next game to look at. And uh, two sides that have had interesting weeks, to say the least. And we'll start with the away team because it's going to be really interesting for them because Paolo Sosa looks imminent. It was toing and froing for a time. I know me, myself and Rich and, and Connor spoke on, on Monday that it looked like for a moment Roma were going to try and pinch him from underneath it noses and he was going to be the they were going to be the bridesmaid and not the bride yet again um but for some reason they've gone for claudia ranieri and uh paulo sosa is imminently going to leisure on down it, it, do you think that this is the right kind of appointment well i mean we've i know when podcast previously with with uh, adam and even yourself as well we mentioned that maybe bordeaux need to take this time and then appoint something in the summer and have a, a plan but was sosa a coach too good to turn down at this point yeah, I, I think he probably was. And, yeah. It's another thing we've spoken about before. But Bordeaux are, uh, by, by French standards, a big club with a good history and an attractive location as well. They should have a nice new stadium. They should have a lot going for them. But for whatever reason, they, they really are in the doldrums and they just can't can't shake shake it. They can't get out of it. And I think Sosa is a, a, a you know, relatively young um, hopefully, upwardly mobile coach um, can probably bring in some um, some good names just by virtue of, of, of his standing in football. Um, no, he 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 has been looked at by other clubs as well. I think probably it is as, as good as as Bordeaux can get right now, and I think they they probably would have been silly to turn it down, and, and certainly the. The Ricardo experiment didn't work at all, and, and maybe you could look at, at Sosa as a sort of almost a, a direct contrast to that. You know, rather than going for someone that's supposedly tried and tested and experienced and, and knows the knows the league very well, um, it really it did feel even at the time that it was a real backward step. Um, and this one, I, I just think, is maybe a little bit more forward-looking, and it could go wrong. You never know, but. Everything else that they've tried in recent years has gone pretty badly as well. So 
So yeah, why not? I think it's quite an exciting appointment, and you know, certainly out of Roma and Bordeaux, I'd definitely be more happy with Bordeaux's appointment than Roma's, to be honest. Yeah, it seems like a strange one, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know if Roma's interest now makes it look like it's a good appointment or a bad appointment, really, whether it's it's questioning their judgment more than anything. But at the same time, if, I agree with you. It's, it's clear that Bordeaux think that, that Sosa's a good coach, and he did have some good times at Fiorentina. He had a, a couple of good moments. A lot of English fans will remember in, in the Championship briefly, although there's some not-so-great spells, especially at Leicester as well. But... He's been in places and won things. I mean, it, uh, it's not necessarily, many people say, that the most difficult things to win things at, at Basel, who were on a sort of 18-year winning streak, and Maccabiah Tel, uh, Tel Aviv as well. No, sorry, Maccabiah Haifa as well. Relatively basic leagues, let's say. That I'm trying not to discredit them too much, because especially Basel could be real powerhouses in, in Europe as well, and he got a couple of good results for them there as well. So... It's not to say that I don't think he's got talent, but he's just never shown it on a, a consistent enough basis for me to, to be linked with something like the Roma job, especially. But, but at the same time, it's dependent on if Bordeaux think he's got the, the big picture vision we'd mentioned a few weeks ago that they maybe need to look at and how they want to play and how they want to evolve as a club and, and the rest of it. Because I watched them on Tuesday night and there's certainly, there's still talent there. I mean, Yan Karimo's on loan, but he was um, inventive, even though his his attitude does come into question. And they looked much better with someone like Nicola de Preville in there. And I know it sounds like me fanboying again more than anything, but someone with a bit of endeavour up front just change the dynamic a little bit. You know, Caramo can be a little bit in and out of games. Uh, Jimmy Brion looked a little bit disinterested at times and just having someone that's just willing to do some running uh, and, and trying some different stuff, it, it makes a, a, a real difference. So That's the thing. I just, you know, Ricardo is never the, the most exciting footballer. I'm not sure he's ever the most exciting coach either. And it just seemed like, you know, he fitted too well into the kind of causeo that we've been seeing in recent years and I just I think they really need to change that um, and you know even if it, if it doesn't necessarily mean um, winning anything or, or being back at the, at the top of the table I, I think the starting point would be uh, you look at that new stadium and, and maybe they were wrong to have so many white seats there but you can see, you can see week in week out that it's only ever half full and at least just bring the fans back and give them something enjoyable to watch, even if they're not going to you know, only win one match and two, one match and three, whatever it is. Just something to get excited about. Yeah, it just needs a, a bit of gel de vivre, doesn't it? And they they were they were pretty good on Tuesday night. I mean, it wasn't the greatest of games, and Montpellier scored two pretty simple goals really but it was almost, almost the only two chances they had and Bordeaux should be really disappointed that they didn't get more from, from that game but they come up against a Monaco side that I know I wanted to talk to you about this Jez because I spoke about it on my uh, on my um uh, league on snapshots last week that Monaco obviously were 2 0 down against Angers and, and came back to win uh, to draw sorry 2 2 with two Falcao goals. But uh, I, I felt like a, a game of two halves and almost like I mentioned at the time that, that it felt like the difference that Jardim has made because the first half was lethargic, poor, they were 
weren't excellent on the ball. They weren't quick enough. They let two decent goals from Tate, who played really well, to be fair, um, to get Angers on front. But at the same time in the second half, they looked like a completely different team. It looked like Leonardo Jardim has now got the power to sort of give them the rocket boost up the bum that they really needed because they they looked like they were going to take on the world in the second half and were maybe unfortunate not to to nick it. And and does that show maybe not necessarily that it was the right decision to to get rid of Henri, but at the same time doing that and putting Jardim back in charge gave him that much more power within the dressing room and, and it showed in that second half against uh, against Auger. Yeah, he, based on what he did, what he's done with the club over the last whatever it is, three, four years, he should have Hell of a lot of influence anyway, um, but certainly Monaco pretty much coming coming back. They tell between their legs, pleading him to come back three months after he's left. It gives him even more power. So there's certainly no doubt he's in charge there. Um, and also just the fact that they're, they're sort of in a better kind of dynamic, they're in a better place than they were six weeks or two months ago. Um, whether it had been his Monaco of the, the first few weeks of the season, or Thierry Owens, after going 2 more down, you'd expect the morale to be so low that the heads would drop and you couldn't see them coming back. But now this is a team that, that's been on a decent run that beat me on the other day and, and just have a lot more belief about themselves. So, um, but yeah, I'm sure Jardim gave them a good block here at half time as well. But, as we keep saying, you look at the look at the respective eleven that played the match. That that Monaco team is infinitely better than the, the Osho team, and um, despite giving them a, a two-goal head start, you would still expect Monaco to come out of that or something. And um, the, the team that was playing, and, and um, yeah, as I said, with the belief that that they now have, um, it was obviously never going to be a formality in Nigeria. Always been a, a very good defensively sound team, but um, yeah, I think it's to the credit of Jardim, but, but also to the players, and it just shows that um, winning and maybe not losing is is a sort of is just as losing as it is a habit that I think some teams find hard to break, and when they did earlier in the season. Um, when you're when you're on a, a long unbeaten run, I think you feel like you're always going to get out of these situations. Yeah, and, and at the same time, it was nice to see Falcao score some goals and get back into form. I think Golovin looks much better, as does um, Martins, but there there is a real concern for how far backwards Calamil Glick's been in the last couple of months, really. It, it, it seems too easy to get past him. I know the, the second goal especially was, was at least laying some blame at his door because he, he sort of lost the ball and, and couldn't quite get into Tate either and it seems a little bit too easy now to he was such a brick wall last year especially the year before really but this season it's just people are getting around him and I don't know if it's tactically or or whether they can try and make a move to have someone next to him that that suits his style better maybe to to maybe allow him to sit back a little bit further or have someone in front of him so he's not as exposed about a defensive midfielder maybe but uh, he really looked poor in that game and that was why Angers really got themselves in front and, and had a couple of half-decent chances in the second half as well was mainly down to, to the Polish international, unfortunately. Uh, let's get predictions again then. Jess, what do you think the score will be in this one? Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to go with the same score. I think I'm going to go with the same score. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I'm going for a 2-0 as well, to be fair. Uh, uh, Bordeaux, again, the Tuesday game was they, they looked better, but they just can't seem to score goals at the moment. I don't know what they need to try and do, do whether it's play Christensen up front and play players around him or, or just give Madger a chance for the rest of the season because they're not really going anywhere. But uh, Briand either looks past it or disinterested, one of the two, really, unfortunately. And it's, it's sort of dragging the rest of the attack down more than I think because it's slowing down the, the way they play. Uh, on to our final game this week because we've had a nicer... Nice long chat about Paris Saint-Germain, and that's on, on Sunday. And we're going to be treated to Saint-Etienne versus Lille. And on the home side first, Jez, Saint-Etienne have sort of taken their foot off the gas a little bit in the last couple of weeks, and that's mainly because of results more than anything. And unfortunately, they were um, sacrificed to the, the great selfie of uh, Mario Balotelli against Marseille last weekend. It's been a bit indifferent since that Leon result that we mentioned was the sort of potential springboard or, or potentially cut them loose. I mean, you look at the results after that in Liga, it's draw, loss, win, loss, win, loss. It's been really indifferent for them and it's not going to get any easier against the Leo side that can really punish teams that are looking for the, for a win and, and are playing attacking football. Yeah, it feels like that, that last minute Leon lost really hit them hard and um, I guess similarly to, to, to Strasbourg but the matches they've had since have not been the, the most difficult in paper um, the you know, Dijon one in the car was a good shot um, the, the Ren one I think was a misnomer if you look at it three more you can come to win for Ren but I think it's something extremely hard to done by the referee in that match and they're just they're not no, they, they, they just don't look the same team that were playing such fair before that match. And they kept it tight against PSG, maybe a bit unlucky there. But the, the worrying thing against Marseille is that they didn't even really seem to be showing much fight. Once Marseille built their lead, it never looked in any kind of, of danger at all. Um, and that's the concern. But they do have a, a reasonable run of matches coming up after this. So, this is a good opportunity to, to sort of um, sort of go into those matches with a with a sort of positive mindset. And and Lille's form has been they've been getting the results, but those, their form I think has, has been a little bit more jumpy in recent weeks. So um, I think you know, the, hopefully you mentioned it about when in Europe earlier. Hopefully the, the excuse me, the Jeffrey Gishard fans can really. Um, uh, sort of build a, an intimidating atmosphere, and I think that's, that's a, a great incentive for the centre team to, to, yeah, to sort of set themselves up for, for a good run leading up to the season. Yeah, and it's it's a funny time for them, really. Like they've been really indifferent, and like you say, that Marseille game. As soon as they went ahead through Balotelli, they they really struggled to try and create much. I know Kazri did, did little bits here and there. He tried to sort of will them into something but they didn't really create anything really in the end. Anything of, of real note. I can't really remember them having any kind of big chance really to get themselves back into the game but you worry about them a little bit. They they brought Lorik Peran off uh, just after half time for, for a striker which he was really poor. He was at fault for the second goal especially. They're giving away the penalty. He gave the ball away and then um, 
was at fault for the for the handball as well. <laughs> really, it's his sort of double barreled one. He was also the one overpowered by Balotelli for the goal as well for the first one. It, it was a bit of a shocker from the the Saint-Étienne captain who has been terrific for for a long, long time. But it, it just feels like maybe he's lost that step and and lost a little bit, and that's made such a dramatic difference. Really, hopefully, he can sort of rebound for him, but he's not had the the greatest of 2019s anyway. And it felt like he was a he felt like for a little while that he's maybe slowly having age catch up to him. And it's a, it's a shame because he can be a real fantastic defender. And you never know if this Hilton was excellent on on Tuesday and he continues to defy the age gene. So maybe Lope Penaran can give him a ring and ask him for the formula more than anything. But uh, well, you, you mentioned, you mentioned Flick should do Jez is they should do the classic um, off off season basketball thing of getting a few players together and they should definitely get Hilton with them and get some advice from him and how he's continued to be an excellent defender heading into 41 maybe and without having that well having the pace of a snail I think he'd even admit that more than anything and maybe um, getting some advice for him of how to extend their careers because they're all excellent defenders with great brains they just I don't know it, it, Age catches up to some of them, but find out the secret from the Brazilian because he, he's still a sensational footballer. But on to much younger footballers, really, in, in Lille. And they got the result they wanted at the weekend against Dijon, but it came sort of after a war of attrition more than anything because they, they managed to get the goal eventually and it ended up being an own goal for Lato or anyway against Dijon. But last couple of weeks, it's sort of end of February, it's about after that 4-0 win against Nice where we said that was a real statement from them after beating Marseille the week before. They they absolutely trounced the Nice side that were really solid defensively. But then the 2-0 win against Gangomp were, was a little bit difficult. They, they never really looked like scoring against Montpellier who just ground them out. Strasbourg were good against them and got the an excellent point and it took forever to break down Dijon and still it only took a deflection from an opposition player really to score the goal. Uh, our teams, it's, it's a sign of respect really that teams are starting to defend a lot more against Lille because of the pace they have on the attack but is this maybe where Galtier needs to show his quality of how he works on how these players can improve in these areas against teams that are going to set up defensive against them or, and not allow them to just be figured out so simply? Yeah, I think he's, he's not going to say he's been playing solely, but obviously everything has gone more or less perfectly for the middle of the season. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, that after the Dijon match, um, Gautier did sort of publicly have a go at the players for, for um, whether it's poor attitude or poor performance. Um, that lead, kind of contrary to, to Saint-Etienne, Lille are about to start a pretty difficult one. And um, I, don't, I don't think it's surprising that, that there's going to be a bit of a different form. They're a young squad, and also the, the style of play, you know, very quick, very sort of lively. It's always going to be difficult to maintain that for a full season. It's not surprising that coming to the last couple of months of the season, maybe they're showing a little bit of tiredness and a little bit of slowing down. So I think it was uh, a well-timed, well, 
have to wait and see whether it was or not. But um, I don't think it was surprising to, to see Gautier say something about them. They, they're still unbeaten in four matches, but as you, as you said, they, they haven't been particularly impressive during that time. But with a couple of wins they've got, and both those wins are against the, the bottom two teams. Um, so the, the next the next few weeks are going to be a real test. And I guess in the same way that, that, that I said that Santetin would, would look at this match as, as you know, hopefully being the, the start of a good run for them and some, some very winnable matches. Um, I guess in the same way, we'll need to go into um, into their, ne- their next set of matches. Which <laughs> it sounds a weird thing to say, seeing as they're, they're, they're second, but just making sure that their, their confidence remains at a, a sort of a high point because any any wavering of confidence and wavering of form um, they could be punished in, in two or three matches coming up. Whereas they've been fortunate that the teams behind them are constantly stumbling. Um, coming through those matches, it, it may be a hell of a lot tighter than going into the last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be interesting to see how they develop because, I mean, this is so the next six games or more games that they're, well, at least a few of them are going to be games where they can play the style they want to play. They've got Santetien, obviously, away this week and you expect Lever to be attacking at home and, and against Monaco, you expect them to probably come at them a little bit more, which gives them the space to play. In Paris Saint-Germain in a couple of weeks, they'll get that chance. But these games against Nantes and Rennes, uh, sorry, Ras that they've got coming up where they will sit a little bit further back, where they will sort of dig in and, and try not to allow Lille to, to counter-attack or attack at speed, then they're the real test of, of how these players will improve. Can Nicolas Pepe do it in those areas? Because if he's going to a bigger team, he's going to face that more often. Same with Rafael Leal. Can he find the spaces in the little nooks and crannies that he needs to find as well? They, that, that's the important thing because that's the thing they were missing in the Dijon game, in the Montpellier game, and at times in the Strasbourg game as well, that uh, they just need to find that little extra edge in those more complex games against smaller sides now that have worked out that they can't simply allow Lille the space that they have because they can be so so devastating really and they have shown it this season deservedly in that second place uh, that's all for us this evening uh, my thanks to Jez uh, and John and Lee and all of you listening at home uh, do join us for the main show which will be back on Monday but for now enjoy your weekend football